Did you know that the 4th of July is on a Thursday this year? That's going to be a full weekend of fun out on the deck, four days. But if your deck isn't what it used to be and you aren't using it for great family gatherings, you need to call my friends at All Weather Decks. All Weather Decks is a 24-time winner of the Angie Super Service Award. And they probably help one of your neighbors. Click on the map link at allweatherdecks.net. Call All Weather Decks today at 913-206-1974 or go to allweatherdecks.net and mention you heard it on 810. Call now and relax. Welcome to the home stretch, Sports Radio 810 WHB. I am Sterling Holmes live in studio. We'll be with you until 8 o'clock, and then we will get you over to the Dodgers and Arizona Diamondbacks game. Who would have thought the Diamondbacks could be heading? Was it the NLCS? Could be sweeping the Dodgers. Diamondbacks up 2 nothing. Who cares about the regular season? Playoff baseball, playoff Kershaw, it happened once again. Phillies are up on the Braves 8-2, looking like they will take a 2-1 series lead over the Braves. And you also have Houston and Minnesota tied in a 1-1 game in the top of the fourth. Got a lot of stuff for you guys this afternoon, a lot packed into one hour I had an interview with Amon Ross St. Brown, the Pro Bowl wide receiver for the Detroit Lions. Talked to him about a whole host of things, but obviously his experience in Arrowhead, right? The NFL season opener, what it's like for Detroit in general, right? Detroit's been a, quite frankly, a, a bad team for so long. You, you don't see him on primetime, and now all of a sudden you're playing the Super Bowl champions in Arrowhead. Not only that, they came out with the victory. So I talked to him about that. By the way, he also speaks three languages. Yeah, believe that or not, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown speaks three languages. English, French, and German. I spoke a little German to him because I know, I know just a little bit. Ein bisschen Deutsch. And he was pretty impressed. It was kind of fun. So, uh, what does that mean? A little German. Oh. Ich <laughs> You spoke ein bisschen Deutsch, a little bit of German. And so I, I, I told him that, and he was laughing. So that's going to come up for you a little bit later in this first segment. I also had a nice interview with Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. He will be joining us in the second segment for our weekly chat with Nick. Kyle, how are you? I'm excited. I'm excited to hear this Amon Ra St. Brown interview, too. Man, it was fun. Yeah, you've had a lot of great players to interview over yeah. the last couple months. Yeah, Eli Manning... Uh, Jamar, uh, Chase, Jamar Chase, Dan Marino, Smith. Yeah. Emmett Smith. If you want to check out a lot of these interviews, you can follow me on Twitter at HomestretchKC. You can also check them out on the uh, podcast I do, the National NFL Podcast, Stacking the Box. A lot of fun of stuff there. Uh, I do want to get into Kansas basketball very quickly. For those of you who have not been around your computer, your phone, or the airwaves, Kansas basketball on probation as violations are downgraded, right? All those... Level one vibe, um, violations. Five of them. Le- eh. They're going to be was, okay. It was going to be five, <laughs> and now it's one level three. It's going to be okay. They're placed on a three-year probation 
will have to vacate its 2018 Final Four appearance and win from that season due to Sylvia D'Souza's uh, participation. But the program, however, was not given a postseason ban. And then self and assistant coach Curtis Townsend will face no further suspension. Good for Kansas. Quite frankly, good for them. Mizzou fan, it pains me. Mizzou alum, it pains me. But anytime you can stick it to the NCAA, for the most part, I am going to be on your side. Remember when Mizzou and some other schools actually cooperated with the NCAA and their findings? Like, you know what? We'll turn our stuff in. We'll, we'll be good Samaritans. We'll help you out. That, that means we'll get a slap on the wrist, right? And the NCAA said, bleep that. You're idiots. Why'd you turn yourself in? We are going to give you the harshest punishments we possibly can give. And so KU said, hey, we saw what those guys did. We are going to say, bleep that. We didn't do anything. We'll just deny, deny, deny. And look, it worked. Yeah, Oklahoma State and Mizzou were the first ones to come to mind to me of team or of programs who self-imposed. And the NCAA said, so what? <laughs> who cares? Thanks for making our jobs easier. And KU said, no, we're not going to cooperate. And they got, quite frankly, a very um, very good get here. I mean, th- this is good for Jayhawks and, and the basketball program. Uh, you know, the 2018 Final Four appearances in the, or the 2018 Final Four appearance in the win from that season being vacated into the day, come on now. We know Kansas basketball went to the Final Four in 2018. I always find that so laughable. Like, remember Reggie Bush when he got his Heisman taken? He still won the Heisman. Like, yeah, they don't announce a, a new winner of the Heisman Trophy. It's crazy to me. What are they going to do? Whoever came in fifth in 2018 is now in the Final Four? We have Wikipedia. We have brains. We have eyes. We saw this happen live. I don't know, man. I I always just find it funny. Well, you know, we're going to vacate your 2018 Final Four. Oh, yeah? So the fifth team is now in the Final Four instead of us? Well, no. Did you erase us from every single internet and Google search? Well, no. Can you make every single person in the world who watched that forget? Well, also no. Can we force you to take down a banner? Maybe. <laughs> like, that's what it comes down to. You might be able to take down a banner and some sticklers for the rule 50 years from now will take a look back at Bill Selves in his final four appearances and they'll have a question about, well, didn't he have one more or did he not? That is what it comes down to. All right, some news around Kansas City. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter clamoring for McCall Hardman. And I liken this to, remember when you used to ask your parents to eat dinner out? You'd be like, hey, can we go to McDonald's? And your mom's like, come on, we got, we got McDonald's at home. We got food at home. When Chiefs fans are asking to bring back McCall Hardman, I'm sitting here going, you guys, we have McCole Hardman at home. Kadarius Tony, who, begrudgingly, 
He's been injured. I will grant you that. Richie James, again, I will grant you, he's been injured. Tell me Sky Moore can't do the end arounds. For all the talk about McCole Hardman being the main reason you want him back is because he knows the system, he's been here. Wasn't that also the main reason why he was let go? Because he never was on the same page with Mahomes? Because they couldn't figure out the best way to use him? Because he couldn't learn more of the playbook? Yeah, The four years he was here, we were all complaining, he doesn't know the offense. He doesn't know Mahomes. And now he won him back. Because apparently he knows now. Like, what was he doing? Studying while he's been on the Jets bench? Like, we have such short-term memory, I feel like, that all the reasons why it was a negative here, we're sitting here looking back, thinking it's a positive. Or at least thinking it through rose-colored glasses. I like McCole Hardman. Nice guy. Really nice dude. But the Chiefs and himself moved on for a reason. Now, he's not getting the opportunity that he thought he would get in... Uh, New York slash, come on now, New Jersey. But he'll probably still get another opportunity somewhere else. The Titans are a team that honestly come to mind. But bringing McCole Hardman back doesn't help the fact that Chiefs have a plethora of wide receiver three talent. McCole Hardman, all he does is makes a crowded room where no one outside of really Rasheed Rice and Justin Watson stand out more crowded. Which, by the way, if you would have asked me two months ago, month and a half ago, who the two most impressive wide receivers for Kansas City would be through five weeks, and you told me it was Justin Watson and Rasheed Rice, good luck getting people to believe. But that's what it's been. The point remains... McCole Hartman is a fine wide receiver three, but adding a wide receiver three to a team that's chock full of wide receiver threes does nothing. Do you have any different thoughts or differing thoughts here, Kyle? Are you in the the same boat of, you know, McCole Hartman, we like his time here in Kansas City, but bringing him back makes no sense. My first two thoughts are, all right, you're going to bring McCole Hartman back. Number one, why didn't you just sign him in the the offseason for one year, four million? Yep, very cheap deal. Number two, whose snap counts are you taking away to put McCall Hardman in there? Better not be Rasheed Rice. Yeah, we want to see more Rasheed Rice. We want to see more Justin Ross, right? Bring in McCall Hardman. It just muddies that field so much more. And a healthy Kadarius Tony. Right. When's he going to start getting the train wheels taken off? I mean, again, I, I, I'm not saying McCall Hardman doesn't... Uh, become a slight improvement over a injured Richie James or a, what's it, Mont- uh, uh, Montreal, Washington. Washington. Montreal, Washington. Who's a kick returner only. Yeah, kick returner only. By the way, Washington's looked electric as a returner. Quite frankly, I, I think I might trust him more than Hardman at this point. Yeah, he's catching the ball. He's got he's catching the rock. I just find it fascinating that you look back because the Chiefs' wide receivers as a whole were playing better where at least some people are pinpointing McCole Hardman as the uh, the band-aid, as the fix. In my eyes, it is not. But I do want to talk to a legitimate wide receiver one, that conversation I had with Amon Ross St. Brown, the Lions Pro Bowl wi- uh, wide receiver. Here's myself with Amon Ra. 
Sterling Holmes with fan sided and stack in the box here, joined now by Pro Bowl wide receiver and youngest Lions player to have a 1,000-yard receiving season, Amon Ra St. Brown. Amon Ra, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I am doing outstanding. And I know you guys have a really cool partnership with Little Caesars Pizza. And by the way, as a dude who lives down the street from a Little Caesars Pizza, I crush one almost every single Sunday for the NFL games. What do you have going on with them? Yeah, so I, I've been, you know, with Little Caesars for almost almost a year now. Um, I did an awesome event, I would say, at the beginning of this year. It was at um, in Arizona for the, before the Super Bowl, um, the Love Kitchen event that they host um, to help communities in need. Um, you know, handed out pizzas, um, was there with a couple other, you know, NFL athletes, which is amazing. It was super fun um, just to be able to hang out, see, hang out with these people, um, you know, put a smile on their face. Um, actually even handed out Super Bowl tickets to to a to an individual and made his whole his whole week. Um, it was amazing to see. But no, it's been amazing. It's been a lot of fun. I uh, actually just shot a little, you know, a little clip for, you know, their pizza pizza pregame um, that they have going on. So um, I love pizza myself. So it, it was just a perfect whole situation for me. Handing out pizzas and handing out L's, which you did to start this season. As you went into Arrowhead, you had to play the defending Super Bowl champs. It kicked off the NFL season. Can you walk us through what that is like? You're going into the lion's den, as you will, defending Super Bowl champs. The start of the NFL season, spotlight is all on you guys, the underdogs here. You're trying to make a statement. What was that like? Yeah, it was It was a lot of fun. Um you know, we didn't really have too much tape on. Obviously, they had the same coaches, but we didn't have any tape going into week one. We have to go from last year. They obviously got the new players. So week one is kind of always an unknown uh, when you're trying to game plan and whatnot. But for us, man, we just went in there and kind of we're going to stick to what we knew what we knew best, what we were doing in camp, what was working. Um, and if things change during the game, we'd have to adjust. But it was a tough game throughout. Um, you know, I feel like as an offense, we could have been better. Uh, but like I said, week one is kind of tough. You're still kind of figuring things out. Um, but like at the end of the day, we kind of figured out a way to win. Defense played great. Um, you know, came up big when we needed it with the pick six, got stops when we needed it. And we, you know, ended up finishing a few drives towards the end to kind of seal the game off. Um, uh, but it was a atmosphere was amazing. Uh, that was my first time at Arrowhead. So, uh, the atmosphere was great. Lions fans showed out. Uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you guys sit here at four and one. You had a great into last year, right? That was what eight wins in ten games. You just barely missed the pl- uh, the playoffs. Then you have the home opener of the NFL. This to me was a coming out party for you guys for the Detroit Lions. Now you're here at four and one. What's it feel like being on top, right? Detroit hasn't had this for a long time. What's it feel like to actually have all this momentum behind you guys? Yeah, it feels great. Um, but for us, I feel like as a team, we just we're always, um, we're kind of hunting for the next team. We're always worried about, you know, being one and on this week. And once we, once we finish, you know, finish that week, we're focused on to the next week. So we don't ever look too far ahead, which is something that I love about this team. We're always focused on the task at hand. And for us this week, it's, uh, it's Tampa Bay. You know, we're not looking any further th- than them because they're a great team. Uh, I believe they're, you know, three and one. So they've been playing great so far. And for us as a team, man, we're four and run right now, but we still feel like, you know, there's a lot of improvement that we can, you know, make as a team, as a unit, as an offense for us. We feel like we still be better, uh, even though, you know, we put up 42 last game. There's still so many, so much room for improvement. And I think that's what the great part about football is you can never really be perfect. You can always, you know, 
be better and we're chasing that and that's something that you know I love about this team I know you also speak German and French do you ever trash talk in another language to people just to really get under their skin are you just out there just dropping some German lines on them you know, not really because they wouldn't really know what I'm saying. So I want them to understand what I'm saying <laughs> if I'm going to talk some trash. So usually it's just English. Um, but I'll, if I'm, if I'm with my brother, you know, somewhere and I want to say something to him and I don't want him to understand, I'll usually just say it in German because it's easier than whispering or whatever. So that's kind of comes in handy at times. Ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch. Just a little bit. Like, enough to order beers, you know, dry beer, bitte, roadside bonds, <laughs> I mean, the, the important things over here. Right, right. Um, I want to ask you, you really had a good start to your career, right? You had over 900 yards as a rookie. As I mentioned earlier, the youngest Lions receiver to ever have a thousand yards, um, you know, over 1900 yards in two years. Sometimes you look around the NFL and it takes wide receivers a long time to really get going. How were you able to adjust so quickly? Um, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I just feel like the situation that I was put in, uh, the coaches around me, um, you know, gave a lot of credit to Ben Johnson. Um, he did a great, you know, once he kind of took over as, as pass game coordinator, the second half of my rookie year, uh, second half of the season, I uh, started getting more targets. And for me, it was, you know, I always knew I was able to play. Um, I was just waiting for opportunity. Um, and once they started, you know, throwing me more balls, that was, I knew that was a chance for me to really, you know, do what I had to do and never look back. And that's what I did. And ever since then, man, I've been trying to trying to be better every day, uh, be consistent in this league and continue to win games for us as a team. Do you ever think that the combine and some of those draft profiles are just unnecessary a little much? You know, I'm sure you look back at some of those scouting profiles, you know, uh, you know, might be a slot guy, you know, might be a, a backup. And then you look at the the combine and you look at the 40 numbers and you ran what was a four, five, nine. Right. It's not a four, three. It's not a four, four. And yet you were one of the most productive players in the NFL. Do you think at times people get so enamored by some of these players who are so out there who run these, you know, elite 40s? They don't stop to realize that's great and all, but how much does that actually translate to the game? Yeah, I think I think a, that's a big part of, you know, the combine. I think people, they have to do their job at the end of the day. That's still their job is having to make those profiles uh, kind of analysis on players. But for me, as a player, you kind of understand, you know, I can watch tape and tell you who's, you know, who can play ball and who can't. And I think those, that's what, um, that's what the good, you know, talent evaluators are able to do. Um, but like I said, people have, have jobs to do. Um, they love, they love a fast 40, someone that can jump high, run fast. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, what can you do on the field? And as, like I said, as a football player myself, I don't really get, you know, too enamored by those numbers. Like you said, um, I kind of can tell off someone's tape or just watching them play how good they are, how good they can be. Um, but like I said, everyone, everyone has a job to do and, you know, your guys' job is to write stuff. So. That's what you guys do, and um, some people write write certain things. They love the fast forties, and that's just kind of how it is. I'm gonna give you a chance to give some of your uh, your Detroit Lions players some love here. Who's the most underrated Lion on the team right now? Uh, um, I'm gonna go with one of our linemen, Jonah Jackson. There we go. Yeah, I'm the, go the with dudes Jonah. up front. The Lions, yeah. you guys. 
your offensive line has been incredible. I mean, just the transformation year over year. Finally, they're starting to get healthy too. But that's what stands out to me. Again, I'm here in Kansas City. I'm a I'm a Chiefs guy, so that, that was a tough L week one. Yeah. But I also respect the hell out of you guys. You guys have built this thing the right way, and it all starts in the trenches. Your defense looking elite. Your offensive line looking elite. I want to know about Dan Campbell too, right? Because you hear all the quotes. You hear all the he's out there. He he drinks the copious amounts of coffee. But he also looks like a dude you want to run through a brick wall for. Can you give us a little behind the scenes of what Dan Campbell's like being your head coach? Yeah, Dan's an awesome dude. Um, everyone sees the media interviews of him. Um, things he says, they love. You know, they love the energy that he brings to the media uh, when he talks to them. But for us, man, as players, he's um, he's an awesome coach just because he understands what it's like to be in this league. He's a player's coach. He played in this league. He knows what we go through day in and day out with the schedule, with practice, with meetings, um, with family back home, whatever it is, he understands all that. So he does a great job of, um, you know, putting himself in our shoes. Um, but then again, he's he knows when to turn it on and he knows what we need and what's best for the team. Um, so that's something that's players that we really respect. And he never changes, man. He's the same guy every day. Uh, you know, when you see Dan, you're going to get the same Dan. And that's something I feel like for me as a player that I really respect because, you know, some people in this in this business, you know, like today, they'll be they'll be different guys one day than they were the next. So, uh, Dan's the same dude every day, man. You know what you're gonna get, and he's a, he's an awesome coach. He he uh, cares about all his guys. That's something that you know I really appreciate. Yeah, if you're giving out your all time NFL wide receiver Mount Rushmore, who's on it? Uh, I'm gonna do everyone. I'm gonna do guys that aren't in the league right now. Uh, I'll go Calvin Johnson, um, Jerry Rice. Randy Moss, um, hmm, I'll go Larry Fitzgerald, and I know it's hard on the spot. It's so hard, hard when, you're, when you're put on the spot. I mean, you're trying. Yeah, there's so many. Um, shoot, let me just go. You know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Heinz Ward because I like the way he played. Oh man, that's I'm a throwback, right there. Loved yeah. Heinz Ward growing up. I'm gonna uh, go Ward. I, I've always wondered this because this is too into the spectrum here. Do you guys ever care that much about PFF rankings or Madden rankings? Like, I know it's fun in Madden and you see yourself as a 95, 97. I get all that stuff. Does that actually ever bother you? And the same thing with PFF. When you see some of the numbers they put out, now typically you're pretty high in PFF's rankings. But in general, do you guys ever take that into consideration? Uh, you know, I don't. every player is different, uh, so I can't speak for everyone else. But for me, um, you know, I don't really care too much about all that stuff. Um, I know the media and, you know, fans and whatnot love to look at that. Um, but, you know, in terms of Madden, I don't really play too much Madden, so I don't really care about that. And then the PFF, um, I don't even know how they grade that. I don't know where they get their grades from. Um, I don't know how you can have so many grades for everybody who's grading it. I don't know how that how all that works. But, um, yeah, I don't even pay attention to that. Um, you know, I can't – I have social media, so I see some of the things. but. Uh, I don't, like I said, I don't pay attention too much to all that. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, can you tell us about the Little Caesars pizza, pizza pregame thing you have going on? And also, what's your favorite topping on a pizza? I'm a pepperoni man myself. The amount of hot and ready pepperoni pizzas I crush in a given week, it's astounding. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the pizza, pizza pregame is basically a thing that they're that they're throwing at Little Caesars. Um, you basically order order pizza hour before the game starts. You get a you can get win some perks, and on top of that, you can, you know, enter a chance to win uh, tickets to Super Bowl Fifty Eight, which is awesome. Um, like I said at the at the event that 
you know, I was at before, uh, before the Super Bowl, um, we handed out some, some Super Bowl tickets. So that was awesome to see. But my favorite topping on a pizza, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a margarita pizza type guy, but I would just say, I would say pepperoni, pepperoni yeah. or sausage, one of those two. Yeah, I get pepperoni in my pizza. I drink the margaritas. Come on now. That, 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 that's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> Pro Bowl wide receiver and youngest Lions player to have a 1,000-yard receiving season, Amon Ra St. Brown. Amon Ra, dude, really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome back to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes joined now by Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. And as always, Nick Lowry is presented by El Bendito Yankee Tequila, the best tequila in the business. Make sure you stop by your local Hy-Vee and pick some up for your next Chiefs watch party. Nick, how are you? It, it, it's a little bit like Chris Jones thinks, thinking he's underpaid. You know, it's a $100 tequila that you can get. For forty bucks at High V, and uh, it's just, uh, shall I say, damn good. It's incredibly good. I never liked Blanco before at this level. It's got no bite to it. It's smooth, and it will make literally the best margaritas you've ever had, which you'll want to drink when we beat the Broncos. Although I don't think it's going to be as easy as we'd like on Thursday night. Yeah, I mean, let's be real now. The Broncos have not beaten Kansas City since 2015, since the Royals were World Series champions. That seems so long ago, but yet that's how long it was since the Broncos got one over on Kansas City. I know the line right now is set at 10.5 in favor of the Chiefs, but I'm sitting here wondering, the Chiefs don't typically blow anyone out. This is an AFC West divisional matchup. Is there something a little extra when you see a team twice a year that makes these games closer? I just think that's who we are. I mean, we just, that's our pattern. Uh, I, I don't, and I never did look at the betting things, even though now there's just about 100 times more data on betting than ever before. But we don't tend to do that well against the spread from what I, I've read recently. It's kind of hard when you Google the Chiefs and matchups, almost everything that comes out on the internet is uh, a betting uh, information. But uh, truth is, we're a very good team. We are not as good as San Francisco is right now, but we will be in December if we keep doing what we've always done, which is continue to improve. So I got two quick stats for you on the Broncos. First of all, I'll give you three. One is we barely beat them last year when they had a a change in the head coach temporarily, but it still seemed to solidify and clarify Russell Wilson's performance. Uh, It was a 27 to 24 win. I was there. I actually caught the ceremonial first pass from the Missouri coach of the year right before the game. And I saw I was right there on the sidelines and I watched Russell put together a pretty good game. And I think they're going to put together a good game. I think it's going to be reasonably tight. Uh, But the other stats uh, that are a little bit contradictory are, number one, in the last three games, the Broncos' defensive line and defense has given up 755 yards on the ground. I mean, that's close to a record. It's like the third worst in many years. Uh, and they do have a decent pass rush. In fact, uh, Patrick was talking about it. They've got Frank Crazy Man Clark, who is going to want to prove himself. When he has something to prove, he usually stands up, so that'll be interesting. And then Nick Benito uh, seems to be uh, rather impressive at pass rush. But unless 
they turn around their rush defense, then it's going to be a more difficult game. And, of course, we've been happy with our own Isaiah Pacheco. He only had 55 yards, but he, you know, he's still a factor. And to me, the obvious thing is that if we establish the run at a level that we did two games ago when Isaiah had 110 yards rushing, I, you know, I, I think once again that opens up everything. But here's the other thing. Everybody's hard on Russell, and I have to admit my bias. His father, Russell Wilson's father, was Harry Wilson. Harry actually founded the first African-American Sports Hall of Fame, and I was the first Caucasian member of that board. Very honored to be on there with my Dartmouth teammate, uh, Reggie Williams. And uh, Harry was my teammate on the baseball and football teams at Dartmouth, and he's everything that I think produced a remarkable human being in Russell Wilson. But Russell had a horrible year last year, but he, I think he's turning it around. He's had 11 touchdown passes, only two interceptions. His quarterback rating is almost 104, 103.7, and he's got a 67% completion rate. So it, it, it's certainly a, a significant improvement, but it's just not been good enough. And until it is, when a team loses, they're going to point their fingers at the big money man. So um, Russell's going to have a good game against us, and we're going to have to do what we uh, seem to be doing reasonably consistently, which is a pass rush uh, with our buddy Chris Chris Jones, but also Dano right on there, or Dano, however you pronounce it, at the end of the game, you know, key sack to basically, um, you know, sack the game away, if you will. Um, And let's turn around to the pass defense. They've got a pretty good pass defense. Patrick Sertain Sertain is pretty darn good. But I have to spend most of this broadcast talking about and celebrating LeJarrius Sneed and Trent McDuffie on Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson, three catches for like 33 yards. He did nothing, nothing in that game against us of significance. He did pull his hamstring in the fourth quarter. But, man, uh, we have to celebrate the quality of our defense. Uh, It still has to show up every week. But those are my heroes. Those are my El Bandito bandits, if you will. the game last week yeah Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry joining us right here Sports Radio 810 WHB let's start there with the Chiefs secondary against Russell Wilson you mentioned it Russell Wilson is actually having a pretty quiet under the radar nice bounce back year he's taking care of the football he might not be as much of a game changer as he once was in his younger days but Russell Wilson is far from the major issue with everything going on in Denver right now Denver has given up 181 points that right there has been the issue even if you take out the 70 points scored against him that 111 would only be three points more than or three points less than Las Vegas in five games. So yes, the defense for uh, the Broncos have been the major issue. But when you look at the Chiefs' secondary, you look at Trent McDuff, you look at Legarius Sneed. What is Russell Wilson going up against in this very deep, very versatile Chiefs secondary? Well, it's a little bit like Zach Wilson, you know. You've got to be able to get rid of the ball very quickly. You don't necessarily have dominant receivers. Uh, and uh, Julie has not really done a whole lot. In fact, there's some trade talk uh, that he might be the kind of guy that adds a little bit of firepower to our group, but I doubt they'll ever trade to an in-conference foe. But, uh, you know, they've got to get rid of the ball quickly, and if we can stuff their run, I think, uh, once again, then we always turn to turnovers itself. They uh, Last week in the game early on, Minnesota on Sunday turned the ball over at a fumble very early in the game. And as I said, that those percentages change quickly. When, when you think about that turnover with Minnesota, and just the different um, emphasis 
during the game, the ebb and flow of a game, it, it comes down to, you know, we're right there having to stop Minnesota on like the 35 yard line, right? At the end of the game or else they could possibly tie it up. So every play like that matters. Um, Again, if we don't turn the ball over much, we get some something of a good rushing game. If our buddy, another big if, uh, who really showed character, Travis Kelsey, is able to recover from his ankle issue, which he did kind of un- unnervingly like Patrick Mahomes, right, in the playoffs last year, injures his ankle, comes back in the second half, catches four of five passes, in the second drive of the second half, including the touchdown pass. I mean, these are tough guys. They may be nice guys, but they are tough as nails. And in the end, this team will win the Super Bowl based on that character and that toughness. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry is our guest right here. Sports Radio 810 WHB. I have a question for you because you saw what Sean Payton said about the former coaching staff heading into this year, saying it was one of the worst coaching jobs he has ever seen. While he might not have been completely out of line, you never hear coaches take shots at other coaches. It feels like there's a fraternity of sorts. And then you see Mike McDaniel throw a 70 spot against Denver. You see the same Former head coach, now OC for the Jets, put a 31 spot upon Sean Payton's dome. Do you think Andy Reid might have a little bit of, hey, we're going to try and teach you a lesson here as well. You don't take shots at former coaches. We stick together here because that's what it seems like to me going around the NFL right now. They're all wanting to get the best shot, their best shot to take down Sean Payton. You know what? When you're a a second-caliber team, you need those psychological edges, and a psychological edge always does help. But that's not Andy Reid. Yeah. Andy Reid is, we're going to outthink you. We're going to be out efficient, uh, you, efficiency you. And that's what I love about our defense already this year. They're only giving up 16 points a game, but they had eight passes defense, which is unbelievable in one game. <laughs> Just incredible. They're more organized. So shout out to Spags. I'm a little bit worried about um, our special teams giving up a couple fake punts this year. That's what teams do, sort of like trying to catch Tiger Woods when you're a top player, but suddenly it's Tiger and you've got to try to do something more than you usually do. You have to pick out something. But Andy Reid does not uh, have to resort to those things. I think a trick play once in a while is good. Even Bill Belichick, who's going through the worst season of his entire coaching career, uh, uh, would do it. But I, I just don't see that really being on his mind because that takes you out of efficiency and execution. And in the end, one play at a time, Marty would say it, uh, Andy Reid, the best coach in the NFL, will say it. One play at a time, stay focused, do what you can do, focus on what you can do. And I want to see Patrick put together two games in a row where he doesn't throw the ball away unnecessarily for an INT. Um, And here's the last insight as I watch film of this game. Patrick's uh, strategic running is is intuitive. If you compare Patrick evading the pass rush and making some amazing plays on the run or choosing a run as he did, he does almost every game, compared to Kirk Cousins, who had the similar kind of pressure to Patrick, the last play for them of the game, and he just could not, didn't have that intuitive quickness and awareness to escape the pass rush. He gets sacked and the game's over. We are so lucky. I mean, we don't want him to do too much of it. We know for many reasons why that's the case, for concussion's sake, for injury's sake, you name it. 
but he's gotten better. He's still quick as hell, and his intuitive knowledge uh, and instinct to go in the right place to fake to run fast enough, always fast enough to evade, is unparalleled in the National Football League. I'll take his in- intuition in running over the speed of a Lamar Jackson. It's absurd at how well Mahomes just knows where people are at. Whether he knows where the line of scrimmage is, whether he knows where the pressure is coming from, he has as you, like just a sixth sense. It's incredible how Mahomes is able to dance around the pocket the way he does. I do want to bring this up. The Chiefs wide receivers and Mahomes have obviously not been on the same page to start the year, but you look up at the standings in the AFC, the Chiefs are still looking down on everyone else. Of course, the Chiefs' only loss in the uh, this entire season has been to an NFC opponent, so they do lead the AFC. How scary should this be for other teams? The Chiefs have not even been rolling right offensively, and they're still leading the NFL. That, to me, is absurd. Well, I mean, I'll give you one statistic. Ten different receivers. Ten different receivers. There's no way uh, you look at two catches, three catches, two catches, five catches, seven catches, or, you know, ten for Travis, but only for, you know, 67 yards, but a touchdown. But you can, if you can eke and dime them, I mean, think about what Patrick's shown. With Tariq Hill, it was 70-yard touchdown passes. I was there way back when we won our first Super Bowl in New England when he embarrassed. He and Tariq embarrassed Bill Belichick and the Patriots in New England and then went on to win the Super Bowl. This is a totally different team. It's five yards here, seven yards here, and and not really a deep threat at this point. But I did watch Justin Watson with a couple amazing catches. Uh, He's become more dependable. Rice is, I think, slowly growing into that, had a touchdown. Ross had a couple, and, of course, he wears my number eight, so he better do well. (laughs) But, uh, you know, these guys are unpredictable. You just can't scout them too easily. And as long as Travis stays healthy – you know, I wish we had a, a dominant receiver to really pull some pressure off of Travis, and then, you know, he'll be back to two touchdowns here and there. But he's still the best tight end in football, and this offense is more unpredictable, more difficult, frankly, more difficult to strategize against. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry is our guest. With all of the grass versus turf debate going around the NFL right now, as a kicker, what did you prefer? Did you prefer grass or did you prefer turf? Well, you know, the Chiefs' turf back in the day was very hard, but you knew you weren't going to slip. So, you know, it, it's a little bit like, um, you know, if you're able to hit out of the middle of the fairway, it's different than hitting out of the light rough. You just know you have less uh, inconsistencies. And on grass, sometimes there's a little divot here and there. But the quality of the stadiums, you saw it last night, Monday Night Football in Allegiant Stadium, they're just extraordinary. SoFi Stadium, almost all the stadiums now, they're like 18 dome stadiums, and uh, they're just in incredible shape. Of course, we had an amazing grounds crew <laughs> in Kansas City and still do. Uh, and so the field's in tremendous shape. So it really wouldn't be a factor. The grass is so short now, it's really not a factor at all. And let's give some more kudos to uh, Harrison Butker, 10 for 10, I believe. And uh, just, you know, like a metronome. 
uh, um, Steve DeBerge used to call me La Machine, which was a, a device to cut up all your different vegetables <laughs> when I made 24 in a row and then 21 in a row and 90 and 91, by the way, then uh, not 22 for 24 the next year. So three pretty amazing years. So my nickname was La Machine. I'm trying to figure out what we should call Harrison Butker, but he's just, he is a machine. He is uh, back in the flow. And uh, he's going to have another 60-yarder this season. He's going to have at least one or probably at least two more game-winning field goals. We're so lucky to have him because he's tested in the big, in the Super Bowl, in the playoff games, put us in, you know, with a 45-yarder to put us in the Super Bowl. Uh, We're very lucky to have him. And it's nice to know you have the predictability of great field conditions, whether it is grass or artificial turf. Uh, I do got to say, your machine last week, being able to predict the actual score of the Chiefs' victory over the Vikings, so have to give you some props right here. But before I get your actual score prediction on the Broncos and Chiefs game on Thursday, I got to get your El Bendito Yankee tequila player of the game first. Who should we look out for for Kansas City? Um, well, first of all, I'm going to go back with uh, Legereus Sneed. I think we're going to have an interception from him. I, I think that um, with our pass rush being pretty consistent, Chris Jones, four and a half sacks, but also, you know, just the, the balance. Uh, by the way, Drew Tranquil, even though he's only played three games, is leading the defense in tackles, uh, replacing Nick Bolton, who I'm not sure is, whether he's going to be back this week or not with his ankle injury. So, you know, we – um, we put pressure from so many different angles now. Chanel had a sack. I mean, we have a really nice, unpredictable, frankly, defense. When you know that any number of players will stand up, they say next man up when somebody gets injured, and next man up makes the play, there is a cohesion on defense that we haven't, I don't think we've seen at this early in the season in the entire Andy Reid era, and it bodes well for this team. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. Normally it takes a little time halfway through the season before a Spags defense really gets going. That is not what's happening this year. All right, Nick, score prediction. You were nails last week. What's it this week? I'm going to go with 31-24. I think that uh, uh, they're going to play a good game. And as long as they don't make any major mistakes and turnovers, I think they'll keep it reasonably close. But, you know, the, the most important thing of any team, any championship team, is learning the habit of making the big plays when you have to. These guys, this Chiefs team, is a year more mature, even though we have some new guys. It's a year more mature, coming off a Super Bowl championship, and it finds a way to win games. And I'd rather have a team that wins the cardiac way but always seems to find a way than the team that blows other teams out with 70 points like Miami one week and then, and then loses somewhat badly to Buffalo. And then look what happened to Buffalo the next week. They lose in London. So, you know, it's the consistency of being able to pull out the big plays. And like I said, San Francisco is playing better than us right now. Yeah. Guess what? Give me a call in, this, in December and see which team is playing better. Uh, the Chiefs do, as you mentioned, win a lot of cardiac games. But if you want to help with that, if you want to help take the uh, the edge off, make sure you go to High V and pick up some El Bandido Yankee tequila. Again, it is just phenomenal, phenomenally smooth tequila. Go to your local High V and look for El Bandido Yankee tequila. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. Nick, always a pleasure. Thanks, brother. Hey, you know, uh, last week I said Kadarius Tony would step up. He had a pretty good game. He had five catches, and, and he made some some difficult catches and hung on to the ball. So I'm going to make a prediction that he continues in that trend, another five catches for probably a bit more yards and maybe one touchdown. Uh, once again, 
as he matures as a player, uh, he could be the dominant player we want, either him or Rice. And Justin Ross looks looks good. Uh, Justin Watson looking good. So uh, we're not doing too badly at wide receiver. Yeah, receivers are starting to come along. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. Take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to the Home Stretch Sports Radio 810 WHB. How do you know this is my favorite Pink Floyd song? I mean, it's a popular Pink Floyd song, so it's not like that far out of the the question that it would be mine. I love it's, this song. It's up there for me. Not my favorite. It's a good one. Oh, yeah. Uh, shout out to Chiefs Hall Fame kicker Nick Lowry, as well as Amon Ross St. Brown. A lot of fun talking and chopping it up with those guys. Told you I was going to speak a little German to Amon Ross. How cool is that? Smart guy. He, he was impressed, too. I think he was a little impressed, right? But I was trying to get a little, you know, what makes him so good so early in his career. I was trying to get some Chiefs inside knowledge, right? You know, some of the young wide receivers for Kansas City, Sky Moore uh, in particular, has, has struggled, right? Well, Monterey St. Brown, he has, well... Jumped his way up leaderboards. You know, the, the the first or the quickest, youngest Lions receiver to a 1,000 yards in their history. Um, over, what, 1,900 yards in his first two seasons in the NFL? Uh, trying to get some behind-the-scenes info on why some guys jump off early and some guys don't. I did think it was interesting, too. I've never been a huge combine guy. I think it's so overblown, overrated personally. Zach Wilson's the perfect example, right? But just in general, you know, Darius Hayward Bay, um, John Brown, um, John Ross, right? Like the the list goes on and on of, of dudes who put up great combine days and doesn't translate. I love the fact that he ran a four five nine, but he's like, I can tell you right now, I can tell you who can and can't play. Combine doesn't mean much to, to him. He's, he's just like, I can tell you right now who can and can play. I think it's interesting, just, just the difference in mindset, how some people are very much tape, this, that, and the other, and some are like, yeah, the combine. I mean, we want to see the the flashes, right? I thought that was a little interesting, a little behind the scenes from uh, Amon Ra. Uh, I do want to take a look, a little look ahead here as the uh, Chiefs and Broncos face off tomorrow on Thursday Night Football. I still always laugh because... The Broncos have not beaten Kansas City since 2015. Since the Royals were World Series champions. I mean, it actually is absurd. And I was laughing because I was talking with a Broncos guy earlier today. He He's a media guy with the Broncos. Um, and he's like, yeah, Chiefs, Chiefs are blowing the Broncos out. It's not close. I think he said like 37-20, something along those lines. And I found myself wondering. I've talked to a lot of Chiefs people. A lot of Chiefs fans in general as well. It feels like Chiefs fans expect the game against the Broncos to go a lot closer. It's going to be a lot closer than a lot of Broncos people think it's going to be. Like, you poll 100 Broncos fans, what, 90% say the Chiefs cover the 10.5? You poll 100 Chiefs fans, what, 90% think the Broncos cover the 10.5? 
We're so used to AFC West games, especially against the Broncos, games where you expect them to blow them out, being much closer than uh, we would, would hope. What I find concerning to an extent is Russell Wilson's actually looked good, and I'll get into some numbers from Russell Wilson in just a moment. But when you've had someone's number 15 games in a row, the gambler in me, who normally always says you never go off when you're on a heater, understands how bleeping difficult it is to win this many games in a row. Like, I don't know if you do the same thing. I did it in the preseason. You know when the Ravens won what was like 24 straight preseason games? I actually, the one game I bet on was the the one when they lost to Washington. I'm like, no, it's going to stop. The, I get they've won this many in a row. The odds are telling me this is unsustainable. It happened. You're a genius. You I, got that one? Yeah, but I didn't get the twenty third, the one before. I that was mm. the only time I bet I was I was I did it more out of spite to some uh some some people. I was yeah. we were kind of joking around and I'm like, this is the one. I have a gut feeling. Uh, I'd tell you don't bet on your gut. Bet on uh stats. You'll do way better. But the point is I I do get nervous to an extent when you've beat a team this many times in a row. I don't think the Chiefs are gonna be complacent. The Chiefs Offense has yet to click, which quite frankly should be scary for the rest of the NFL. The Chiefs are the number one team right now in the AFC, 4-1 and one with their only loss to an NFC opponent week one, and their offense has yet to click. That should be terrifying for the rest of the NFL. So I don't think the Chiefs are going to be complacent. The defense, I think, of Kansas City is absolutely legit. It's just the fact that when you've seen a, a team this many times and Sean Payton's getting his ass kicked as bad as he's getting kicked... I don't think he's a great head coach, but I think he's a good head coach. When this has happened this many times, at some point, it's a put up or shut up. I think Chiefs win, but I ain't touching that ten and a half. Yeah, uh, stats show. Curtis Siebel pointed this out earlier this week on the program. Four of the last five have been one score games against Denver, and it took some herculean efforts to to right. win these games and that always is going to happen you're on a 15 game win streak against a team whatever you know whatever whatever it is since 2015 there are going to be some times when hey nick bolton was it an 85 yard fumble return for a touchdown like that game was pretty much over until that happened like things will will go your way and that's what good teams do they find ways to win those close games I think Chiefs win, but again, Russell Wilson, and just going back to what he's done, going back to Mr. Unlimited. He's not what he once was in Seattle, but he's been really good. His career average completion percentage is 64.7. This year, 66.9. On pace for over 4,100 yards this year. 11 touchdowns, 2 interceptions. His average yard per uh, yards per attempt is 7.8 in his career this year at 7.4. This is more in line with what we were used to seeing from Russell Wilson in his Seattle days. Why? He's lost weight. I was told he lost 15 pounds. I was told Sean Payton came up to him and said, Hey, if you and me worked hard, I'll work you hard. But that means you're losing weight and we're going to run more bootlegs. You're going to get out of the pocket more. This should be a good test for the Chiefs' defense. A more, again, Mr. Unlimited Russell Wilson. Still think the Chiefs win. 
Chief, uh, the Broncos defense is two scoops of ass. They are 32nd in so many categories. They are brutal. We'll take you now in just a moment to Dodgers, Arizona.